I forgot. We're just going to do the whammy right off the bat. I forgot that he literally kills a cat on camera in this episode. I forgot about the cats completely, but that but seeing the dude with the cat is what made me be yeah. like, oh, it's this episode. Yeah, the thing is, is like, when he shows up with them in his arms, I'm like, that cat is acting or it's a fake cat. Watching him kill the cat, I was like, I can't, I can't, I, actually, I can't that. do this. Yeah. I skipped through that. No shame. I, I didn't think it would affect me so much until I was watching it happen. Because I my cat's 12 now, and mm-hmm. I have, like, a real fear mm-hmm. of that. And so watching it, I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. <laughs> yeah, but it I think it's, like, sucks. the point. I skipped through it. It fucking sucks. Yeah. I put my cat yeah. down six months ago. Oh. Like. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not good. So, yeah, this was a bit of a rough one. Bit of a rough one for an unexpected reason that I completely skipped out of my viewing experience of. Yep. You yep. were like, hey, when they're at the animal shelter, just skip ahead a minute. And I was like, yeah. all right, and <laughs> da, 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 done. Yep. <laughs> I'm out yep. of here. I I've was you out watch of scenes. there immediately. I've been like, hey, B, I'm not watching this. You have to watch this for me. Thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's kind of. Exactly. It shows how effective Criminal Minds is when it wants to be. And I think it shows like why they kind of got away without being quite so gory for years and years and years because they this yeah. was not a gory thing that still affected both of us greatly. Because <laughs> it's a I fucked up thing to do. It is. You know, I think that's kind of the horror aspect of Criminal Minds is like they can upset you and gross you out and, and trigger you a little bit without having to show just like body parts of blood, you know? Yeah. They're good at the, like, creating the atmosphere, you know, without just... They don't have to rely on the blood and everything. Which, you like, know? so true. So true. It's It makes me laugh because you remember there was that quote that came out a few years ago from NBC's Hannibal where they were like, we used so much fake blood that mold started growing on uh, the sets. Oh and I'm my like... God. You know what? That's so true, much. Criminal Minds not using that much fake <laughs> blood. At least we're not NBC's Hannibal, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And even in the reboot, they're showing more blood in the pictures. But I think that's more like, because they would be true to life. And then like... They're also showing us a man's spine, just straight up. Yeah, but again, it was for like a very specific point. Effect. Yeah. I was afraid it was for an effect. We know that this guy is real and calculated. It wasn't just like, ooh, this is a man's spine. Yeah. Isn't that creepy? You know. To okay. be fair, NBC Hannibal was also for a point, but that was sure. more of like some abstract Mads Mickelson bullshit, so <laughs> I Which again, I'm fully Hannibal. behind. I, I have not Hannibal. watched Hannibal, but I have seen I saw I have a friend who is doing like a visual analysis on all of like the really intricate like murder scenes and all like the body like dioramas and shit. Basically, I don't know what Hannibal's deal is. I don't know what exactly <laughs> these scenes are emblematic of. But some of them, I was like, "Oh, you've like made art. Like that is oh, yeah. a biblically accurate angel made of dead oh, yeah. body people." Yeah, and I was like, oh, "Okay, no, I understand why mold rotted the sets. Yeah. I understand why yeah. there was so much fake blood." 
Yeah, I I watched the first few episodes. It very much is like an art piece of a show. You know, yeah. that's like the point of it. And the guy is like, he can't trust his own brain. Yeah, Hannibal's like a psychologist. He's Hannibal is the police detective. It's he's his psychiatrist or like a uh, therapist. That's like the thing. Yeah, you know. Tell me, Will. Right. <laughs> Tell me, Will. So true. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We so we've talked about the blood. We talked about the cat. It's also a very gay episode and a very momily episode. That's Mom Emily, momily. Yeah. My heart goes out to her. This episode is literally like she hasn't even been on the team for a year, and they're like Emily wants kids, and then she never gets kids ever. Which is so sad, actually. Which is so tragic. And she's not even shown as close with, like, JJ's kids. Like, she just is like, no, they went, nope, you're not allowed to be happy that way. (laughs) And then, like, the thing is, like, also then we have, like, we have, you and I know all about Declan later. I'm like, Mm. let this woman have a child. Let her, let her be a mom. Truly. You guys, just let her have a child. She deserves it. She deserves it. it. <laughs> she deserves it, and she deserves to heal from her parental trauma by being a good parent. Exactly. You know, exactly. and they don't give her that. Yeah. Okay. It's a bit of an episode. Related We're going to have a bit of a time here. Sorry, I'm trying to fix my hair. It's sort of in a, it's in a state right now. <laughs> no, relatable content. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's half up in a gay little ponytail. Oh I have the, the bangs, which are going in full force, the little mm-hmm. flop. And then I got just the shaved side of my the head, si- which is horizontal. too long now, where yeah. it is just horizontal. Really? <laughs> and I know this is an audio experience and people don't care <laughs> about what my hair looks like, but I care because I'm going to be staring at myself or you for the next two yep. and a half hours. Absolutely. Conservatively. I wear a headband under my headphones. I wear a headband under my headphones because I can't deal with it. And I feel like I can't wear the hood because it's giving a little bit of like Handmaid's Tale right That's now. That's a vibe. And it's a little bit too real. This is our new cold open. It's just always going to be a vibe check. Today's vibe is hair struggles. I'm drinking a margarita. I'm drinking a V8 energy drink. (laughs) As always. As always. Could it be an episode of Wheels Up without it? No. And it couldn't be an episode of Wheels Out without our theme song. Did you just say Wheels Out? (laughs) Did I? Yeah. Like it can't be an episode of Wheels Up without it, and then you said we- it couldn't be an episode of Wheels Out without our theme song. <laughs> this is a special Pride Month themed edition of Wheels oh my God. Up. In December, where it is December, <laughs> and it wouldn't be an episode of Wheels Up without our theme song. Great. You have to leave your wheels out in. You have to. <laughs> okay. Please. I don't ask for much. Please I'm leave asking. it in. Please. Thank you.
hey there, Ronald. Oh, hey there, Jorts. Interesting. Now, what normal name have you combined with James to get Jorts? Um, it's like a like a like a like a fun version of Dorothy. Dorts? Jorts. You know, <laughs> I don't believe you. That's <laughs> unfortunate, because only one of us have lived in the Wizard of Oz state, and that's fucking me. Okay. So if you want to, like, step to me on are matters involving me, Dorothy, are you, you telling me that in, Are you telling me that in real life, there are women going around <laughs> being like, oh, it's nice to meet you. You can call me Dort. <laughs> really? Because no, like- I'm, I'm so sure the nickname for Dorothy is Dottie. <laughs> it's it's dot for sure yeah exactly yeah. um but unfortunately here's the thing i can't just call you jot 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 jot, jot, jot everybody <laughs> i can't just call you jot and i was mm-hmm. gonna go with jorothy which is very fun but mm-hmm. i like to <laughs> jorothy but like Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, I you just felt like maybe... Mortimer, Jordimer, Jordimer, <laughs> Jordimer. Oh, please, Mortimer is my father. Call me Jord. <laughs> the... mm-hmm. Okay. You always go. You always go with names. I like to take that fun little segment of ours and do it a little more freestyle. Yes, that is exactly what you have been doing in the past. Mm-hmm. I called you mm-hmm. Jerbud once. Oh, yeah, that's true. I've been freestyling okay. on it, and I will continue to freestyle on it. <laughs> okay. Well, we're not freestyling. Well, we are. Hey, guys, <laughs> welcome to our podcast, Reels Up. We're talking about Season 3, Episode 4, Children of the Dark. I'm James. And I'm B. Yeah, this is real sub. I, I gotta. <laughs> that's my name. <laughs> I, I never be. know what to say <laughs> after you introduce me, because sometimes you like add in like a, I'm James, and then like you leave me something else to say, and this time you uh, yeah. didn't, so I'm just like B. Hello, I am also would here. Like me, <laughs> would you like me to do it with something for you to say? No. Okay. No, but just know in the future that that is okay. where my brain goes. I like I'm always trying to build, you know. <laughs> oh, I'm a right. little hype guy. Yes, I'm always trying okay. to build something. Yeah. So true. Hype man. You're a man now. So, children of the dark. Let's start off right there with the name. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's in reference to the going dark that Irvin tells us later? Yes. Because it follows three children from that same foster home where that same thing occurred. Mm-hmm. And so I think it is, that's that's the through line, that's the connection here. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. We're children you know. of the dark. 
It sounds very dramatic. I feel like we should maybe put a trigger warning on the top of this podcast because mm-hmm. we've already kind of touched on it, but there is like on-screen animal death, mm. specifically of cats, if that bothers you. There's a lot that goes on here, but like... That's a big one. That's that's like a that's one that we don't usually get on Criminal Minds. Yeah. And this kind for of like all, graphic... For all the crimes that they do and all the times they talk about animals and all the times that that's like a precursor for things, it is never quite on screen as much as it is in this episode. I think this is also pretty graphic description of child abuse. Yeah. We get that, yeah. Next episode, Correct. too. Yeah. Yeah, God. next episode's hard. They're really... Man. Yeah, this They're is really in this shit, huh? They're in it. Okay. Well, we don't start off with child abuse. We start off with a family in a nice house in a nice neighborhood that's important. The woman's, like, gossiping on the phone. She has, like, bone spurs, apparently. That's, like, a whole thing. And she's, like, talking to this woman just about life. One kid is watching television, cartoons on television. One child is doing homework with their dad at the dinner table and isn't doing very well. And the dad's, This dad is the least helpful motherfucker when it comes to this child's math homework. But actually... This This kid's, like... Is it 19? He's like, you're guessing. It's like, okay. So, like, help him. So, help like, him help not him. guess. Help him What not are you guess doing? Him. Yeah. And he's like, so, 15. He's like, just focus. Like, okay. Top 10 most useless statements I've ever heard in my entire life. Just focus. You don't uh-huh. learn how to do math by focusing more. Like, if I don't know how to do it, tell me how to do it. You know? Not great. So then the woman's phone line dies. Like her phone call dies. She's like, what? Oh, shoot. It's important to mention. She says Carol is going to come by with a dish from the potluck. And there's a knock on the door and she's like, oh, it must be Carol. It's not Carol. It's Gary. With a dead cat. And he has a story of like I hit it. It just ran into the road. Is it yours? I'm so sorry. And then I never noticed this before now, but he asks for the make. He's like, can I use your phone? And the woman says, the phone's dead. And the man's like, here, you can use my cell phone. Gives Gary his cell phone. And Gary just pockets it. And oh, for real? Yeah. He I, gets- thought the guy, I thought the guy was just like, it doesn't have a signal on it. And then put it back. Oh, does he? Yeah. I just know that, like, the cell phone is mentioned, and then it's, like, useless. Yeah, the cell phone is mentioned. The guy brings out his cell phone, like, hey, um, oh, that's weird. It doesn't have a signal right now. Right. And then pockets it when he goes back into the kitchen. That's right. So, yeah, so they ask for a trash bag to put the cat in, and they go to get it. And when they come back, and this is a fun little detail. So Gary is holding the cat without gloves. When they leave and come back, suddenly Gary is wearing gloves. It's really good. I like that detail. That's a detail where I was like, oh, shit. I know. You're literally like, oh, no. And the other guy is there. And Irvin is there. And another little callback. So the woman goes to, like, push Irvin out of her house. 
and he screams like don't touch me and it's like he has this reaction to mothers mm-hmm. he's like i know what mothers do don't touch me which is like tragic this is a very interesting layered episode it is but i also think that this is one of the best like openers we've got yeah in terms of like they're okay so they're very practiced they've done something to the phone line they don't want to be touched by people and then gary is very like eye contact how are you gonna call them no one's coming to help you oh you play golf you know whereas Irvin is like curled in on himself he keeps like looking at gary and it's like very clear immediately Here's the ruse. Here's the dynamic. One of them is in charge. One of them is volatile. It's like, it's great. And then it, like, we'll see in a bit, they, the man, they like zoom in. You see the kids watching the family and it like looks, it's a different scene, but it like looks up at the um, family picture and you see the guy swing the weapon in the reflection of the family picture. Yeah. This episode this episode is amazing. In this terms is of like, really good. Yeah, it's just such a great like the visual storytelling this episode is like amazing. If you watched this episode completely without sound, I don't think it would detract that much. Genuinely, yeah. I think they do enough storytelling visually that I think you could watch this episode without listening to the dialogue. Yeah, and I have a lot to say about next episode, too, in terms of, like, the little details. This season, they really start putting in these, like, tiny touches that, like, like, you know, even if it's not enough for you to put it together yourself, you, like, they set the mood through these kind of, like, tiny little details that really set you on edge. And I think that's why this episode is so, like, well-liked and why Seven Seconds, I mean... I've talked to tons of people. It's in their top five. Seven seconds is one of the best episodes of Criminal Minds. Period. Absolutely. Period. Like, that's it. And and I think it has to do with these, like, tiny touches. The way they've started building these, like, clues and the layers. It's not just, like, person does crime. They're so good at profiling, they put it together. It becomes, like, these little details that, like, maybe the audience notices, maybe they don't. But, like, the BAU notices. It starts becoming... I think the best episodes of Criminal Minds are the ones where, like, you already know all the players, and you already know, and they're all, like, stuck in a place together. You know what I mean? Like, that's Mm -hmm. why Derek is such a good episode, or why Profiler Profiled is such a good episode, and why Seven Seconds Mm -hmm. and this one are, like, good episodes, because, like, they're just, like, circling around each other, and it feels Mm -hmm. more like a mystery show than it does a crime show. Like, the crimes matter, but the, like, little details, the little, like, Hercule Poirot-ass bullshit matters. Yeah, and I think, I think comparing this episode with Seven Seconds is a really, is really good because, you know, this episode, we know who the unsubs are from the beginning, and we know why they're doing it, and we're watching the BAU put together the pieces that we already have, Mm -hmm. so it's, What's really interesting is like, how do they get there? How do they as people react to these things that we already know? And then seven seconds, we don't know who the unsub is. So we are on the edge of our seat with the BAU every step of the way. And 
the show gives you enough clues to put it the mystery together alongside the BAU. Yeah. And I think when Criminal Minds does one of these two things, that's those are the best episodes. Yeah, and it always it's always those episodes where like even if physically they are not in the same space, if we mm-hmm. the viewers are viewing the both the criminals and the BAU simultaneously, like they're in an mm-hmm. intricate little puzzle box, that's when this shit is good. Yeah. You know, I think they tried to do that. Like, I think Lessons Learned tried to do that. But it it wasn't quite the same. They've really yeah. mastered kind of these two formats. And there are more, and we'll talk about them, you know, when we get there. But I think these two episodes are kind of like these two formats of we know the unsub the whole time and we're like come on that's a clue come on that's a clue come on figure it out or Mm -hmm. we're like i don't know what's happening i'm it almost feels like we're working with the team to figure it out i think those two that's like criminal minds in its element can i get back in my little mystery bag bullshit because this please is a columbo episode oh this is a Columbo episode. Seven seconds is an Agatha Christie's Hercule Poirot. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. You're so right for that. Thank you. I'm going to keep talking about Columbo on this show until I make <laughs> all of our listeners Columbo fans. Hey guys, it's one of the best mystery shows of all times. But why it's so good is that we know who did it the whole time. And it's just a matter of us wanting to know how the BAU outsmarts it, how Columbo figures it out. That's what this episode is. This is this is a how to catch him episode. This is it's called the how catch him, which I think is kind of a stupid name, but it's a how catch him mm-hmm. instead of a who And then it. I was going to say 7 seconds is a who done it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. So we go to Quantico and they're having the briefing. This is we saw the Halbert family be killed in Cherry Creek in Denver. And it's the third invasion in the last month. So can we say, speaking back to the last episode, three invasions in a month, they call the BAU. But five in two weeks? Fuck it. Nah. Nah, fuck it. Not worth it. (laughs) Wild. Okay. Let's see. Oh, gosh. I shouldn't say the last one. I should say two episodes ago. In oh, in name and blood. Yeah, fair. I fucking forget how time Once works. again, I forgot about Scared to Death. I do not remember that episode ever. <laughs> okay. They kill the parents, the kids, and the pets if there are any. Also, like, the family is in... The families are in really nice neighborhoods, but they don't really rob them. Like, yeah, they take some money, but, like, not enough to make this, like, a robbery. Yeah. And then Reed says there's been an 18% increase in home invasions in the last few years. And I was thinking, I was like, this is 2007. Like, we're about to hit the Great Recession. Like, the housing bubble's about to pop. It makes tons of sense that there are more home invasions. Yeah. Now that you think, now that you say it, yeah, actually. Mm-hmm. This is one of those things where, like, We've gone through the wormhole of doubt. There's like, we're in some other fun alternate dimension, but we still do have a housing crisis. Well, that's the thing is, I'm thinking of the episodes of the show and like, fuck if they ever mention the housing crisis. Yeah, they never do. Never. Like, wouldn't it be so interesting if there was an episode 
set in like late 2008 or like 2009 of someone doing a crime directly related to like having gone broke from the housing crisis or like the great recession but no we're in the wormhole we're in the wormhole but also i just i don't think they they do sometimes mention like housing crisis made like an unsub like lose his house or something and that's as much as i can remember them like mentioning it's like a stressor that they lost their house or something yeah lost their job yeah okay 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 jj jj doesn't know who john benet ramsey is girl Girl. like i mean i i know she's the audience insert she has to be the one who's like why wouldn't Denver like us? And then Hotch is like, John Bonet Ramsey. And then JJ goes, oh yeah, and that was in Boulder, right? And it's like, you don't remember John Bonet Ramsey, but you remember that it was in Boulder. Okay. Literally. Yeah. Okay. So, for those of you who don't know, um, for those of you who don't know, John Bonet Ramsey was a little girl, like, very young, who was into beauty pageants and all that kind of thing. And she was found dead in her basement from a blow to the back of the head on Christmas by her parents. And they called the police. And then they got like a ransom letter. But it seems like it might have been written on like stationery from inside the house. And it asked for exactly the amount, like the exact amount of money the father had in his bank account at that moment. And like the son had a history of like, anger outbursts and and abusing his sister but to this day it has never been solved but it's like highly suspected that someone in the family and or the brother did it but it's a huge case i mean it still is there's you can find netflix documentaries tons it's a huge case john bunny ramsey they did an episode of buzzfeed unsolved about it (laughs) yeah and jj is like Who's John Benet Ramsey? Like, okay. Come on. Girl. Yeah, come on. Come on. Come on. And I think it was in the mid 90s. John Benet Ramsey? I'm not I sure. I think so, because it was before my time. If I remember correctly, yeah. I am like some of the youngest people who do not remember this case, <laughs> basically. Right. It happened in 1996. She was six. Yeah. Okay. How do you not know? Anyway, the whole thing is that, like, they, the FBI, so the thing about the case, the actual, like, investigation, all of that, is that, like, the police showed up on Christmas. It was, like, two people. And then people were walking all through the house. And, like, the dad was friends with the cops, but they refused to call the FBI. But, like, because they didn't, they were, like, way out of their league in handling it. And so it, like, just totally got botched. And then the FBI showed up and was like, shut the fuck up, sit down, we're going to deal with it. But they couldn't do anything about it. They just embarrassed the local cops. So Hotch Mm -hmm. is like, I'm super surprised that all of Colorado would ever ask us back because of what Mm -hmm. happened. And JJ's like, well, the cops in Cherry Creek were eager to get us there. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay. And then we find out the first two invasions were 20 days apart. And this one was only nine days after that one. So it's escalating. Theme song. 
I cannot recall the Criminal Minds theme song unless I'm listening to it. Like the actual yeah. like it fades away to nothing immediately. I just remember the da na 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 na, and I can't. But when I'm listening to it, I can hum along like the best of them. But as soon as it stops playing, I'm like, uh, how's that song go? Okay. <laughs> They're on the plane. Oh no! I okay. I really liked this effect. They showed the outside of the Halbert house, and then it was like yes. one cop car. The cop car and the tape, the cops are there. And then it zoomed out into a photograph that Reed was looking at. They did. They pulled a fast one on us. I yeah. thought they were going to do the opposite, but they pulled a fast one on us. Yeah. Well, I think two episodes ago, maybe an episode ago, they had like a lot of times they'll show the house and then it'll like fade to the cops being there like i know they did it in north mammon and then like the yeah. bau walks into frame this was like the opposite of that they showed the house and then with the cops and then the bau on the plane and i was like whoa i like that it was good i like that they finally like they finally switched it up on us yeah they tricked us for the fast one exactly yeah okay they're talking about the home invasion. And Reed says, normally home invasions are elderly people and single women. And then it cuts to JJ. <laughs> you know, single women. You know. Jennifer Jarreau, who's definitely single. And Emily Spo is apparently taken. <laughs> no, I think they're implying that JJ, you know, JJ is not single. Not taken. She's not. Because she is taken. Right, secretly. Yeah. So they're like, you know, single women. And JJ's like, mm-hmm, that's me. Definitely don't have a <laughs> secret boyfriend in Louisiana. For sure. For sure. For sure. For, for sure, sure. For sure. Just me. For sure. For sure. For sure. And then Derek mentions like maybe it's, you know, drug related, gang related. And JJ says, I doubt they, these families were running in gang circles. And Emily goes, sewing circles more like. <laughs> She's so funny, your honor. Your Honor, I think she's so funny. Hey, she's actually very funny. I just and think she's, she's funny. Yeah. And then she says they're killing the Cleavers. And so the Cleavers was a television show. A family television show. And the Cleavers Can I be so was... honest that I did not know who the fucking Cleavers were? Do you know that? Have you ever heard of the show Leave it to Beaver? Yeah. Their family is the Cleavers. The kid's name is Theodore, but everyone calls him the Beaver. So they call him Beaver. But his real name is Theodore. The family is the Cleaver. And they're like the typical 1950s family. Everything's perfect. And all the struggle, like the struggle is he's just like, he's just like a little boy trying to go to school and things. And his family is perfect. And they're called the Cleavers. And so Reed's like, it's super ironic that they were called the Cleavers because it's supposed to be this like perfect American family and it's named this like terrible weapon. And Hush just goes, focus, please. Can I also just say the way that Matthew Gray Gibbler delivers this line could not be less inspired. <laughs> he 
he delivers this line. Like, it's just like, he's like, I just got to check it off the list. You know, it's ironic that actually they were called the Cleavers, considered they were, I'm like, okay, I get it. You are at work. You are being paid. Can I be controversial? Yeah, brave. Yes. I don't think Matthew Gray Cooper is a good actor. I think he's just like Can I cute. Also be controversial? Please. I think you're right. I think he's just I think, like cute. I think out of everybody on the main squad, I think he is probably the weakest actor of the bunch. Yeah, I think him and sorry to say Joe Montaigne. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes duke it out at the bottom. It's a bottom of the ba- it's a bottom of the barrel brawl, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, I love Joe Montaigne. I think he's a great guy. He's done a lot of stuff. He has, well, we'll talk about it later. But he is great acting. Uh, uh, I yeah, I just yeah. I don't think this is. I think maybe. And Gigi has some has some moments where he's a good actor. That's fine. Um, I don't necessarily think early season three is one of them, and I don't necessarily I don't think, think so he's a good actor overall. Well, the thing is, is he was a model. He was a model first. They just plucked him out from being a model into being an actor, and. I refuse to watch anything else he's ever been in. I have no and interest in so it. I don't, I don't think he's a good actor. I don't think he is. I don't think he's a good actor. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. We're going to no, get I mean, hate comments for that one. And I hope we do. Wheels up pod anywhere you get if, your socials. If is are any of our listeners read Stannies, MGG Stannies at this point? I don't think any I don't think any of them are read Stannies. I think some of them may take offense to us saying MGG is not a good actor. That's fair. I think the you best know? actors since we're doing it. I think the best actors are Patrick Brewster, Shamar Moore, and Thomas Gibson. Thomas has a really understated performance always, but I think he does really, really good with it. Yeah, and I mean, I think it, I think because he seems so real, he doesn't get a lot of credit for it. But like, if you watch anything with Thomas Gibson, the person, nothing like hot. Even the bloopers are like startling to watch. Yeah. The same with Patrick Brewster and Emily Prentice. Yeah. I like, think those are not the same. Their voices are different. Everything about them is Shamar different. Moore is could not be a more oh different person than Derek. But yeah, I think those three are probably the yeah. best. I do actually really enjoy what's her name? Who plays Kate? Jennifer Love Hewitt? Yeah. Oh no, she's a I good enjo- actor. I, was, I enjoy yeah. her portrayal of Kate. Yes. And I think Alex Blake is a or um Jean, yeah. Jean. Oh, she has a very long last name. Winterson. Something like that. She does. Hold on. She's a good actress. Jean Triplehorn. Triplehorn. Thank you. I think she's a good yeah. actress. And then my bottom three love her to death, Kirsten Banksness. <laughs> now, I think 
here's the thing. I don't know as though she's necessarily remember? the best actress of the bunch, but I do think her portrayal of Penelope Garcia is yes. so much just Kirsten being weird that like Absolutely. it works. It circles Absolutely. back around to working. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think my bottom two are unfortunately going to have to be, my bottom three are going to be MGG, Joe Montana, and then mm-hmm. who plays Seaver? Nicole something. Oh, I, I like Seaver. I didn't like her portrayal of Seaver. I'm sorry. I love that our middle of the road is just JJ. AJ Cook. She's good. She's good. She's doing her part. She's doing great. I love her. I love JJ. Um, It's not like I've, I'm not like, wow, she's so different from JJ. But at the same time, I've never been watching it and been like, yikes, you fail. You know? Yeah, exactly. And that's what this read line was to me. I was like, yikes. Yeesh. Yeah. Yeesh. Like it, if you can notice the problem with MDG and Reed is like, he'll do something and I'll be like, ooh, he's acting. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, oh, you've said that line. <laughs> you have moved to yeah. your spot. You have moved yeah. to your little T on the ground. You said it. It was the right energy level. You could did the correct hand gesture. Good for you. Nice take. You know, whereas with like Hotch and Emily Prentice and Derek, I'm like, those are people. Those like, are real people. A, that's a person. Like Emily that's Prentice, a, like that's a whole person. person right there. Like Derek Morgan, like that's a person. It never drops or lags or anything. It is always like that's them. You know, whereas like with the other people, you're like my like with with Mandy Patinkin towards the end. And you were like, oh, you were kind of cashing it in there. Yeah, you, you could were, like tell. You were tired you that tell. day. You didn't want to do it on set. That's fine. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You could tell. Okay. Anyway, Hotch says, like he would say to us, focus, please. So they're like, maybe it's a class based uprising. And I'm just like, nope, there was no graffiti. It's not that. And they were like, well, look, the parents were murdered brutally and messily. Because they're symbols of family and of, like, the household. But the kids got lethal injections, pentobarbital, which is an anticonvulsant used for epilepsy, anxiety, and state executions. So, like, it's a very different MO for the parents and the kids. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Hotch and Emily go to the house and there's just like three or four frames of silver spoons. I know that this is an American thing. My grandmother used to give me spoons. I'm pretty sure I still have one. Mm-hmm. For what? For why? Why spoons were a thing? Why was collecting spoons a thing? Enough to like display them. My mom has a display cabinet full of spoons. For for what? For why? She got them from places we went, and she likes them. Oh. They're like memories of like family spoons. vacations and stuff. Yeah. Okay. I just saw a message that says, I collect spoons. I can help. <laughs> Please, somebody. Yeah. Apparently, they started back in the 1800s. And... Mm-hmm. The first American souvenir spoon produced in the late 1800s was outfitted 
with George Washington's profile. Interesting. I mean, I guess I, I collect passport stamps from national parks, but like spoons take up so much space and you have to display them. Yeah, but I think the point is that they are displayed. Right, I guess so. You know, okay. you collect passport stamps for you because you like passport stamps and like you can look through your little book and be like, I've been there. Spoons are like, hey, look at all the places my family has gone to vacation. We are upper middle class and white and this is what we consider fine <laughs> art. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. And there were a lot of them in this house. So. Yes. Unlike spoons, there were no forced entry. There was no forced entry. Hotch and Emily do a little, Unlike like, Unlike spoons, there is no forced entry. Is that what you went with? Well, like, there are spoons. That was your... There are spoons. There is... Are not... There is not forced entry. I... Uh. Remember when you were like, yeah, I can have a margarita during this episode. This is how not the margarita. Is this just you being... Say it. Yourself? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. This is just you Perhaps. being a bad self, yeah. <laughs> so the porch light was unscrewed, and they're like, okay, so it's going to be dark. But so when people look, okay, tell me what you think about this. They look through the people, and they're like, if you look threatening, they're not going to let you in. And it's like a f- ambiguous raced man. And then they're like, but if you look non-threatening, they'll open the door. And then it was like a white guy in a suit. Yeah, they weren't exactly very subtle about that one, were they? I was like, okay. I initially thought, when I watched the app, I thought that was more representative of, like... What are the two unsubs' names? Irvin and Gary. Irvin. I thought the first man that they saw that looked supposedly threatening, air quotes, heavy air quotes, was supposed to be representative of Irving, and then... Mm. The second guy was like, Gary. Gary. But I'll be honest. If I look through my peephole and I see anybody, number one, not opening the fucking door. Are you fucking kidding me? I know this was still like 2007, but like, Mm -hmm. absolutely the fuck not. I am not opening that door. No siree. Literally, who opens the door when somebody knocks unexpectedly? How That is so Not to be like... Not to be like, this is why they had so many serial killers in the 70s and 80s, but like, y'all were just opening your doors for for what? For what? what? Yeah. But the other side is, like, I thought Gary looked more intimidating, honestly, than Irving did. 100%. Because Irving was not looking directly at you. I think they were playing on the family being a little classist and racist yes you know correct which like sure sure i don't think that same trick would have worked with the second family who is hispanic a hispanic family would be like oh another hispanic person versus like oh no a white guy in a suit literally and that was interesting anyway they say that with the kind of violence inflicted on this family that the there's usually a history between the unsub and the victims. So maybe they like know the family. But it's weird because the kids were tucked in, quiet, and that's signs of like an introvert and someone who's sensitive. So there's two profiles, two unsubs. The chairs were positioned to face the murders. 
And Emily's like, okay, they're entertainment. They forced the kids, or like they sat and watched what was happening. It was all staged. And I think this is very interesting. And something that I just noticed, sometimes when they're profiling, they don't ask questions. They'll say a statement and the other person like feels it out as to whether or not it feels right. Like Emily says, okay, they sat there and they watched the parents die. And Hotch is like, maybe, you know, like they gave each other, like they'll say it like it's a fact and then like vibe whether or not it feels correct. <laughs> you gotta, sometimes I, you just gotta like vibe check your coworkers, you know? No, I I like it a lot. Like it isn't just, I feel like it'd get boring if it was just, is it this? What about this? How about that? And instead yeah. they try a different tactic of like, if I say it and it doesn't ring true, mm-hmm. you know, consider that. So I, I liked that they, that that was good. Okay. It's good and writing. Then, it's good To writing. have different ways of them like brainstorming out loud. Because yeah, it's so I, hard. They talked a lot about it. I remember in one of the early specials that we watched, they talked a lot about how like, we have to like show, not tell, but we are a TV show. And the yeah. core of the TV show is six people in a room talking. So we do need yes. to like just tell sometimes. So <laughs> finding an interesting way to tell is like yes. vital. Yeah. And I think it also like in this particular instance, it was Hotch and Emily. So like Emily is very aware that he's in charge, but also Hotch is very interested in hearing her interpretation. So like this whole thing of like sentence and vibe check would vary between different pairings of the team too. We saw that you know? a lot in the early days when Gideon and uh, Morgan were there a lot. Like Morgan's mm-hmm. style of investigating is a lot more physical. And Gideon is also mm-hmm. that more like physicality, like climbing onto the sofa, laying on the bed, like all mm-hmm. of that kind of thing. Whereas like Hotch and Emily are more just like, okay, does this make sense? Hey, vibe check this. Like, it it makes yeah. it's a very interesting nuanced character choice that they make consistently, which I think is just good writing. It is just good writing, you know. And I think like when someone's with Reed, they, like especially Emily would be like, "Hey Reed, what's this fact?" And Reed would be like, "Here it is." She's like, "No, that's not right." You know, like show, like the way they interact with each other and the individual dynamics. I, I think the writers, the Camino Minds writers, are getting very good at, you know, they taking a scene like this, a brainstorming scene, a talking scene, and making it feel correct for the two people in the room, but also like choosing the style of brainstorming, the way they work it out, depending on who's talking. And it's not just kind of like cookie cutter. I like that a lot. It's very good. I mean, like I said, it's just they're – they've hit their stride of like character dynamics and how people interact both as a team, but also as different pairings going mm-hmm. off to do their different investigations. Yeah. And I think, you know, with the exception of Mandy Patinkin being gone, we've had these characters now for a while, you know, Emily is still yeah. kind of new, but everyone else we've known for like three years, this is our third year with them. So we are more confident in who they are as people and they can start like expanding on that beyond just kind of their tropes, which is great. Yeah. Okay. Reed is outside talking to T- Carol. She's like, I brought back the Pyrex, which is a type of Tupperware. And she like rang the doorbell. Nothing. Lights were off. She called. No signal, which is weird because 
the tower is like two blocks away. And so she just left the Pyrex on the porch. Then the next morning, it was still there. And she's like, that's weird. So she went back, looked in the window, saw them dead, called the police. And Reed was like, wait, you called them? So your signal was back? And she was like, yeah, I guess so. Great. Which that the- sort of goes into what we were talking about earlier. Like, this is kind of like a how we already knew that, like, they didn't have a signal that night. But this mm-hmm. is like a good little, like, how catch a moment. This is, this is, this is good. I yeah. like this little moment. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like contrived, like, with an episode, how catch them, with an episode like this. We know everything, mm-hmm. so it's like we don't want to sit here and just watch the BAU like, like be told everything we already know. So yeah. I think this is a good thing of Reed being like, "Huh, that's weird," and then the conversation jumps right to signal jammers, you know. And JJ, JJ goes, "You can buy them online for what a hundred bucks," and the detective, love this detective, he does nothing this episode. <laughs> he does nothing, but he quips a few good times, and that's all right by me. This detective called them and was like, I'll show you. I'll drive you places. Um, but this one's yours, boys. <laughs> like, <laughs> Y'all can take this as long as I get the collar. Like, whatever. Absolutely. And he said, but he's talking about the signal jammers. And he says, I could use one of those for the next time I go to the movie. And everyone's like, ha ha ha. And then. Morgan calls Garcia and says. Or Garcia calls Morgan and Morgan says, hey, girl, you're on speaker behave. And she says, or what? You'll spank me. And then it cuts Morgan, the detective, Morgan, Garcia. Anyway, so. <laughs> I was the like, order that they did that cut is mm-hmm. fucking perfect. And it's the so order fast. of Derek going, uh, the detective going, what the fuck, Derek? And then back to Garcia is so perfect. It is so funny. And like the pacing of it is so good and it doesn't feel cheesy. It feels hilarious. It's amazing. Yeah. Also, Garcia, two episodes ago, this same thing happened. Girl, <laughs> once is an accident, mm-hmm. twice is a pattern. There's an episode, God, I cannot remember when it happens. It must be season six, maybe season eight. I don't remember. But like the BAU has to go to a sexual harassment seminar. Yes, I remember exactly what one. Is that the Flurpy Blunderguff episode? Yeah, Flurpy Blunderguff, which God bless. God bless. I need everyone to know that Penelope and JJ have a text chat where they just make up sex positions. That's it. That's what they do. Yeah, I just need everyone to know that. It's very funny. But Garcia, girl, you're why they keep having to do sexual harassment. Like, you're on a recorded phone call for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, she just starts talking. So before the killings, there were four cases the phone lines were cut, but they were just robberies without killings. And so the team is like, okay, so why are they now murdering? Why are they choosing these victims to murder? Nothing connects them. They have different politics, different school systems, different like neighborhoods. Like It really seems like they're choosing at random, which we learn they are. Irvin and Gary are at a Chinese restaurant. 
And Gary has opened a fortune cookie and it says, a reunion is in your future. <laughs> and he's like, what does that mean? And Gary goes, it's just a gimmick. <laughs> I mean, sure. So then the guy on the phone is like, there's a guy on the phone in the booth behind them speaking Chinese. Again, feels unnecessarily like, oh, the Chinese guy talking too loud on his phone. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So Gary pulls out the jammer. The call drops. He's like, finally, some quiet. So now it's we learned that it's Irvin's turn to pick the family, and Gary says, "If you don't do it, I'm gonna take your turn." So they've been taking turns, which makes sense. Why the time frame of the killings has changed? Gary did it first. Irvin took twenty days to pick a family. And then Irvin only took nine. And then Gary you only know? took nine days to pick another one. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, like, actually, Gary's I didn't like, really catch that the first time, but like, that makes yeah. sense, actually. Yeah, like, Irvin isn't 100%. He doesn't know. Whereas Gary is like, I don't know them. So, there's a Hispanic family at dinner, and the girl, fucking relatable, she's like, I'm on student council. I do drill. I do all these things for you so I can get to a good college because you want that. Can I please just go on this French trip for the weekend? And her parents are like, no, there's going to be boys there. And she's like, there's like 10 of us going. Like, come on. And they won't. And she says, like, she's basically like, fuck you guys. And storms off. And then we get this little clip of, we get a clip of Gary and Irvin talking Irvin Gary's like maybe it's time to go home visit the folks might be time and Irvin is like no I don't want to do that I don't want to go back there so we see this kind of like contradicting not motives but like Gary is clearly like has a target is it time to go kill our foster parents Whereas Irvin is like, I'd rather just move on and forget about that. Which, like, yeah, is what drives them apart later. And then as Irvin is looking around for someone to pick, the Hispanic girl walks by again. And he, like, looks at the, the fortune cookie and he just says, a reunion. And you're like, uh-oh. What is that? Uh-oh. So... We get the uh, Gary turning off the light. The same thing with the dead cat. And then it cuts to... I think when I saw the second cat is when I realized that like they're killing these cats on purpose. Yeah. Like, killing them for the express purpose of doing this. Which is just like, ugh. And then it cuts to the kids tied up to chairs watching the parents being murdered. And this is where we see Gary like picks up a fireplace poker and in the reflection of the framed family picture, we see him like take a golf club swing with this poker. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then we see Carrie walking around in the street. Carrie's the daughter. She's got blood on her. She's super dazed. A car almost hits her. The guy immediately gets out. And is like, oh my god, are you okay? Like, call the police. And you see a woman behind him, like, calling the police and all this kind of stuff. And Carrie hugs the man and says, he killed us. Mm. Uh, 
The girl they got to play Carrie. Mm-hmm. Really good. Really good. She's really good. Hold up, let me pull mm-hmm. up her name. Um, because she deserves a, a shout out here for sure. Uh, her name is uh, Joanna Flores. Flores? Flores. Flores. I forget how to read times. <laughs> she has not been like in anything else beyond this. She was in a few episodes. She was in like a season of The Young and the Restless. Uh, and a few like Disney Channel movies. Mm-hmm. But not a ton else. So that honestly just makes this performance all the better. Girl. All the better. She's good. Anna, you're so good. Okay. They're giving the profile. And they're like, okay. Two men, probably white because they fit in with the neighborhood. Mid to late 20s. They're probably career criminals. They have a record, but you would never know by looking at them. Which I think is probably true of a lot of people, but whatever. They're Correct. He does. Derek does go on to make the the point of like they're clean shaven, and, and they're like playing into like cultural stereotypes of people who mm-hmm. aren't who don't have records. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then Emily's like, their ruse could be anything. They're lost. They have car trouble. This that. And the two of them share a very tight bond and a mutual compulsion to kill. Now, mm-hmm. I don't think this is true. I do I, not think. No. I do not think Irving wants this. I or don't Irving, think Irving sorry. wants this. And I don't. I think if. Honestly, if Irving had let Gary kill their foster parents first, I don't know that Gary would be killing anybody else. Really? I think. He's so focused on them. And is it time to go back yet? Can we hurt them now? I gave the other kid a gun so he can kill them. Like, I think that if he got that out of his system, he might think about it. But I don't think he would become this murderer. I don't think Gary would have stopped killing. Um, I do think Irvin probably would. would. I think Irvin doesn't want to be doing this in the first place really which is why he chooses the quieter murder method and is like regretful about it i do i I could see gary continuing on a solo crime spree i could not see Irvin doing the same thing whether that's just because he's so timid or or what i i don't think we would see an Irvin Mm. crime spree the way we would a gary one no but i think it's interesting because like Irvin has accepted that Gary is going to kill and he feels like the only way that he can make up for Gary's killing is by giving the kids a peaceful death and keeping them out of the foster system. Gary wants to kill parents. Irvin wants to make sure these kids do not go in the foster system. Yeah. Which is an interesting, like, is very interesting dynamic. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then they say one brutal personality who's dominant. Okay, Angel calls Irvin Angel. Emily calls Irvin an angel of death, which is incorrect. Mm -hmm. An angel of death is a doctor or a nurse, a medical professional, who 
kills the patients either believing that it's for the best or to get some like sick sense of control. And I, I see how Irvin like relates to that, but angel of deaths, they're either like these old people are going to die anyway. Right. I might as well just kill them. Even if they're killing like healthy yeah. older people, you know, or they're mm-hmm. like, I get some pleasure out of, holding these people's lives in my hands. Irvin isn't that. Maybe with the cats. I do think... I Actually, I don't mind her calling him an angel of death. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I don't know, like it still kind of fits with me. He is, thinks he is choosing the kinder option for these children. Even though he is not a medical professional... Well, not in uh, not a human medical professional, mm-hmm. um, but like he still thinks he is choosing what is best for them, and he is administering drugs to make that happen. I still think that falls under the purview of Angel of Death. Now, sure, it's not like the nurse that we all think of as like an mm-hmm. Angel of Death, okay. or that one fucked up nun from season one of Warrior Nun, <laughs> but. Sorry, I was just thinking. Exactly. I was just thinking about Warrior Nun. Yeah, exactly. So true, Bessie. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Sister Francis. Anyway, I do yeah. think while we think of Angels of Death as like the the healthcare workers doing the murders, I do think it still counts for like this is a mercy killing right now. So okay. I'm gonna make you go quietly. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. So. They they hear all this and they say, we need to get a list of places where you can get the drugs. The pentobarbital. And then Gigi comes in and is like, there's a calling an ambulance. And Emily's like, an ambulance? And JJ's like, yeah, there's a survivor. Ooh, okay. Okay. Emily and JJ are at the hospital. Emily could not look any gayer. She has, like, she's wearing a button down, but it's, like, rolled up sleeves, tank top underneath. She's got, I think this is the first, like, clear shot of just how sideways she wears her belt buckle. Like, it's over there. It's, like, on a hip bone. (laughs) (laughs) It's really, like, it has lost its effectiveness as a belt. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, like, it's not just, like, slightly tilted. Like, she puts it between the other like a different two belt loops yeah you know exactly it's fully between different belt loops emily's like this is on purpose yeah Mm -hmm. okay also this is just a little pet peeve of mine they change outfits emily and jj like four times during this episode it is impossible to tell how much time goes by because they are truly it's like it is almost, seriously guys, go back and watch it. It is truly every scene they're in a different fucking outfit. It is, And it's wild. not even like they're putting on and removing like a blazer or something. They are no. in fully different outfits. Emily is in like a, a tan tank top with a blazer. And then she's in the unbuttoned blue button down. And then she's in like a navy blue shirt with a blazer. And then she's in like a white like sweater shirt at the end and i'm like why this is four distinct outfits for what and jj too jj goes from like a like a gray button down to her blue button down 
to like a white shirt to her pink shirt. It's like four discreet outfits for both of them. And they're only Full on quiet. screen. They're on screen quite a bit this episode, but like it's not, not like days past. That's the thing. It's like, not like anything happens. Days long. It's not like anything happens that makes them change outfits. They don't get blood on them. They don't have to like go new places. Like, what's oh. up? And it truly what's feels like here? it's but be- it feels like it's between just like random scenes. They're like, you know what? It's been an evening. Like, <laughs> okay. I mean, they both look great in all the outfits, but I had to say it. Okay. They we find out great. It just do. doesn't work. Also, Emily is fully in her like last night's under eyeliner era. Every time we see her, she's got like a smoky eye, but like all the way under her eye. Like she had nice eyeliner and then she showered and then just didn't do anything about it. That's Emily's whole look for the past couple episodes, and I'm so here for the Scothas bitch. She doesn't have time for that this morning, (laughs) you know? Like, she's busy. If I just don't wipe my eyeliner on, then I am still wearing eyeliner. I don't have to redo it. That's Emily. It's technically business casual, you guys. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Right, business casual, the FBI. I'm still wearing makeup. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) We find out that Carrie is, like, in and out of consciousness, you know, which makes sense because she had an acute barbiturate overdose and she's kind of confused and Emily's like after what happened probably for the best oh and as a note they're reaching out JJ calls Carrie's family in LA to see if they will come get her okay that's going on in the background Derek and Hutch are at the house the little boy, Carrie's little brother, was seven, and he's like dead face down in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The mom and the dad are on the carpet. We get Chekhov's blue flowers. And then the bodies were moved post-mortem, and it's because when Carrie woke up, she like tried to wake her parents up. And they were dead. It's a rough one, <laughs> actually. This one hits. Like, this episode hits. Every detail, I'm just like, oh. This episode hits real hard. This episode also directed by... Director? Jesus. Directed Mm -hmm. uh, by Guy Norman B, who directs a lot of very good episodes of Criminal Minds. Oh. That's exciting. um, Let me pull up one of their episodes. I recognized his name and I was like, oh, this is a guy who makes good criminal minds. Mm. Mm-hmm. In season one, he directed Broken Mirror, Fox, and uh, Machismo. He also, in season two, mm. he directed Psychodrama, Lessons Learned, and Revelations. Oh. Uh, in this episode, he in this season, he does Children of the Dark and The Crossing. Uh, and then mm. in season four, he does uh, Memoriam. Oh, interesting. Okay. Just a, Just a good bunch of episodes actually except for season one except for season one, but nobody did good in season one so mm. did the worst though makisma did the worst actually i think the tribe did the worst but makisma was second we cut to carrie in the hospital emily and jj are talking to her and oh emily okay talking about patrick booster being a great a- actress every scene of this episode 
Emily is clearly fighting like personal trauma demons. Just constantly. And JJ too. Both of them had like really specific shitty childhoods. And like talking to this girl who has gone through this family trauma like is just getting both of them so bad. I think also this is the first time that like Emily and JJ have been paired up so much on screen, which is really interesting. Yeah, this is actually one of their first episodes that they're like really hanging out during, actually. Thank God. They're truly like not allowed to hang out. They hang out so rarely in this show. <laughs> they get and it's so good so that rarely. they finally get to. They finally get to I hang know. out. <laughs> so happy for Pageant and AJ that they finally got to chill on set together. <laughs> you know what I mean? So happy for Girls them. day. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Serious time. We get the explanation of what happened. The Hispanic guy, Irvin, always avoided eye contact. He was really quiet. And Gary, like, kills the parents, makes the kids watch, and then after the parents are dead, steals from them. Nothing serious. Irvin took Danny to another room, and as soon as, like, uh, the attention was off of her, Carrie ran to get Danny. But Danny was already dead. Irvin was trying to get her, and Carrie is speaking Spanish, and Irvin's like, I don't know what you're saying. He doesn't speak Spanish. And then he takes Carrie into the bedroom and gives her the shot. There's like a really good moment while Carrie is telling this story where JJ is like, okay, let's take a break. And Carrie's like, you need this, right? You need to hear this to catch him. I can do it. I want to do this. And it's just like so heartbreaking. Like JJ is literally like glassy eyed. Yeah. And Emily looks like spooked by all of it. Again. Ugh. Joanna, girl. So, so good. good. Truly so good. The details in this episode, like in the script, but also just like the nuance and the acting is just like, oh, it's so good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So then we're at Stella Carey's house. Morgan says like, wait, they don't take souvenirs, right? They just like rob them a little. And Hotch is like, yeah, no souvenirs. Well... One of them took a picture off the wall. And we see that it's a photo of Carrie Young. And Irvin is looking at it. Oh, and we learn in this scene with Carrie that Irvin kept calling her Lucy. Mm -hmm. And that's important. Okay. So, you know, Carrie mentioned the cats. And... The team is like, where are they getting the cats? Why are they using cats specifically, you know? Also, Emily and JJ, like, were off in the conference room and they just come, like, walking in together. New <laughs> outfits. Okay. So because of this cat detail and the penobarbital, they think that one or both of these men must work, like, at a rescue or their vets or something. Because mm -hmm. they have access to both cats and this medicine. Yeah. So maybe they're brothers. Or, you know, one is Hispanic and one is not. So maybe they're half-brothers. Or they could be adopted, maybe. 
and they're like, okay, JJ, it's time for you to announce the case and announce what we have and see who says anything. Emily is nervous about that. She's like, I really want to double Carrie's security. Like, that makes me nervous that yeah. we're going to kind of be like, she's talking. So, okay, this is the hard scene. Irvin is talking to the cat and he tells the cat kind of his whole thesis statement. He's like, I know you thought a family was like going to get you out of this, but they would have just hurt you. And then he just killed the cat and I hate it. Mm -hmm. And then his brother shows up, Gary. And Gary's like, the girl survived. And Irvin, okay, he is impossible to read in this moment. And I like love this actor for this. He goes, she did. And you like, can't tell. He's like, it was a good shot, but she like literally can't tell if I couldn't tell if he was like sincere or not. Yeah. Same. I couldn't tell. And shout out to uh, Francis Capra and William Lee Scott who play Irvin and Gary respectively. I think both of them were so good this episode. So good this episode. This was God. Francis, this episode my guy. is so good. It's good. I love this episode. This is a good app. This is one of my favorites, honestly. Top ten for sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And Irvin is like maybe you know her living was assigned to stop. You know, like, I've got a good job so we don't have to rob anymore. And, like, we don't have to kill people. And Gary says, no, those kids are better off dead. I would love to know what Gary's, like, thought process truly is. Because, like, if you kill every kid, then there's kind of just no more people. But maybe that's the I don't think point. he's thinking on like a children of men worldwide extinction level. Yeah. I think he's more just thinking through his the lens of his own personal trauma. Mm-hmm. Of if there's less kids to go to that fucking god-awful foster home, then maybe that'll be I better guess. for everybody. Okay. Carrie has been cleared. Okay. Okay. Emily's talking to the doctor who's like, yeah, Carrie's cleared to go. JJ walks up and does this awkward little like smile and wave at Emily as she walks up. Oh, I love Jennifer Jerome. And their new outfits again. Okay. Again, new outfits. Yeah. yeah. And Emily is like, yay, she can go. And JJ is like, I mean, if only she had somewhere to go. And Carrie has a tree. Way to not really cushion that blow, JJ. Way to really just like lay it out there, huh? Yeah, JJ's <laughs> like, like a wild right <laughs> She's going into foster care, actually. Ironically, <laughs> she does have to go into foster care. So, oh, then Carrie has a dream that the men are like breaking into her room and is screaming and JJ and Emily run and... JJ, like, it's like, wake up, Carrie, wake up, and, like, hugs her and looks at Emily, and Emily looks, like, triggered, truly, by Carrie waking up screaming from a nightmare. And I was just like, Emily, girl, your trauma's showing. (laughs) Jesus. Okay. And then JJ's like, I didn't know what you would want to wear, so I just got you three of everything. And... Carrie's like from the house 
that my family just got murdered in and jj's yeah. like jj's like mm-hmm. <laughs> and emily just kind of there's a lot of flowers in here wow smells like a nursery <laughs> okay and then we get Chekhov's flowers to completion the same bouquet that was in Carrie's house is in the hospital room. There's no note, and Garcia is going to backtrace the flower delivery. And Garcia is like, Hey, Emily, why cats? Why does it have to be cats? And Emily's like, I don't know. So, read is talking about the previous cases and says that in the first case, the first family that was killed, there were bruises on the daughter's torso from the family. She'd had three trips to the emergency room in two years. So like she was being beaten and they were Mm -hmm. like, that must have been the trigger for why like that family, that robbery got turned into... A murder. They saw the bruises and were like, "This, these parents are hurting the kid. Like, we gotta kill them. But then once they were dead, they were like, well, shit, now the kids are orphans. We gotta kill them. Yeah. So, yeah. So the idea is that one of the unsubs decimates parental figures because they recognize the abuse siblings. They recognize the abuse symptoms. And the other one is saving the kids from having bad lives. Okay. Pause. They mentioned John List, who's a serial killer, who's a family annihilator. And they mentioned him as like he thought he was giving his family a better life. No, that's not true at all. John List was in like $200,000 of debt. And he killed his wife, his two kids, and his mother, and then dragged all of their bodies into his ballroom, and then disappeared and started a new life in Florida for like 20 years. And when he got caught finally, he went to court and he was like, yeah, I couldn't kill myself because suicide's a sin and I would have gone to hell. (laughs) Not the same. Sorry, I'm still caught up on the fact that that dude had a ballroom in his house. Oh, the mo- the biggest irony of this all is that he had the house, the roof of the ballroom was Tiffany glass and it would have sold for the exact amount of money he owed. So so if he just sold the glass roof of his ballroom, he wouldn't have had to kill his family and then start a new life in Florida. Why is it always Florida? Oh, well. <laughs> it's, the, it's a bad state. But, like, no. So John List did not kill his family because he think, thought they'd be better off. For sure not. I love that they just, like, talk about serial killers and they just do it wrong. Did this come out before John List got caught? Well, he got caught because of an episode of Unsolved Crimes. Wait, for real? Yeah, John Walsh, the man who started that show, started it because his son, Adam Walsh, went missing, and it was an unsolved case. He started that show, they put John List on it, and caught him. That's kind of insane. And America's Most Wanted is the show. Oh, yeah. Okay. He was apprehended in Virginia. In 1989. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it so, was before this. Uh... Much. Yeah. Yeah. America's Most Wanted was a television show started, hosted by John Walsh, whose son, Adam Walsh, was uh, killed in 1981. And the killer was Otis Toole, who was caught in 2008, actually. Yeah, Tool was partnered with Henry Lee Lucas, who they even reference earlier in Criminal Minds. So they know. Oh, yeah, that guy. They know. They were like, we can't name our son Henry. It's Henry Lee Lucas, who was partnered with Otis Tool, who killed Adam Walsh, whose father is John Walsh, created America's Most Wanted, which helped catch John List, which they mentioned again incorrectly. Ouroboros, snake eats tail. I can't wait for when we do our unhinged timeline deep dive because we are going to just go in circles. I can't include any outside detail when we do that because uh, yeah, too, there's too many. I'm going to fully cry when we read that timeline. Okay. Anyway. They come to the conclusion that both unsubs are orphans. They must have come from the same foster home rather than Irvin being adopted by Gary's parents. Okay, okay. This is actually very convenient timing for this to have come up. So they mentioned that Irvin won't make eye contact. Mm -hmm. And Reed goes oppositional defiance disorder. I need to talk about oppositional defiance disorder. Yes. Which is now called something else. And Mel actually yesterday sent me a link to it because she was like this sounds like you and i was like okay. <laughs> ouch uh, truly it's called pathological demand avoidance and it's part of autism basically it's like if someone tells you to do something you become so filled with anxiety that you can't do it and like for me that presented in like and it still does but it was really bad as a kid i would be like okay i'm gonna put away my laundry and my dad would come in and be like you have to put away your laundry today and i would be so like i would start crying and just stand there and literally not be able to do anything because it's like i want to say i was about to but like if he's telling me to do it, then I should have already done it. And I didn't already do it. So does it matter that I was about to do it now anyway? And at the same time, like he thinks he needs to tell me. Like it's this whole thing. And mm -hmm. it's part of autism. And it also goes into like, so people with what was ODD, they basically like they have good social skills and they have a good social understanding. They're comfortable with... um playing pretend and have a good imagination because they're so anxious of being like perceived as defiant or like troublesome. Mm -hmm. So it's like so interesting to me that, that one of them is that like someone is like, yeah, he doesn't make eye contact and Reed goes, so he's autistic. <laughs> so true reed who has avoided hey, eye contact every moment that he can in his life oh so one hey, of reed. them is okay hey reed you trying to say something here buddy you got something you're trying to put out there 
wild. And then, oh, somebody used the credit card of a man. The flowers were bought with the credit card by somebody named Robert Serrano. Great. They go to Robert Serrano's house. He's dead, along with his wife, it looks like. They've been killed. And, and presumably a child as well? Yeah, I mean, there's two chairs set up. So presumably at least so, one child. Presumably at least one child. And their, their credit card was stolen. That's why they used it to buy flowers. But in addition to buying flowers, they also bought gas at a nearby gas station. So they were like, okay, we'll get footage. And then they are like looking at the door and they see that the security chain of the door has been broken. They had to force their way in. And the reason is because the news went out and blew the cover of their like ruse with the dead cats. So they couldn't do that anymore. They had to break their way in. And they did. So we know that they're frazzled. We know that they're struggling. Great. We're going to figure it out. Now they're going to fuck up. So Garcia says, calls Derek. And Derek's like, hey, baby doll. We need to find out how many criminals are in the foster system. And she's like, all of them. <laughs> Which, okay. Let's talk this about how they talk about the foster system. This episode does the foster system so goddamn fucking dirty. I, so here's the thing. You know, I do, I believe in fostering. Shannon and I intend to foster when we have a house. We want to foster like, you know, older teens, queer kids. And it is interesting to me, and I don't want to like say it's not true, but you know, who knows, that the foster system is so shit upon. Mm -hmm. And like, of course, there's going to be bad actors who just like keep getting kids to keep getting money the same way there is in any sort of charity situation. But like, is it that, you know, the only foster situations we hear about are the bad ones, you know? Correct. No, that's exactly it. Is the vast majority of people who are fostering children are doing it because they have love in their hearts and want to help people. Mm -hmm. uh, and the only time TV shows ever talk about it is to give a villain a tragic fucking backstory. And quite frankly, it's horse shit. It's fucking dog shit. And it's garbage. What is it? Like the vocal minority? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it doesn't exactly play in here, but yes, it is fucking dog shit. Like we, we only hear about the bad ones, even though there's less of them. And the other thing is like the foster system is not a system that is broken because people are terrible. It is a system mm. that is broken because we don't give a fucking shit about children. Truly. That's just it. Like, Republicans yeah. have broken this system beyond repair because they do not want people who are not in a perfect nuclear family to fucking live. That's just it. Like We've also, like, part of the American exceptionalism is, like, we need to adopt babies from other countries to come live in America because America's the best country. But then it's like, what about the kids that are already here? No one gives yeah. a fuck about them, you know? Exactly. Or yeah. it's like, what about the kids who are already over the age of 10 
and have behavioral issues that you are not capable of dealing with. You know, like, yeah. do we teach people enough to be effective foster parents to older children who might have more issues? The answer is no, no. we don't. Yeah. Because we don't have enough time and resources to do so because fucking every Republican legislator ever of all time is like, yeah, just slash cuts to the fucking foster system. It's fine. They'll make do. Yeah. And, you know, when Shannon and I were talking about fostering, we talked about kind of like, you know, we want to take, you know, kids over the age of 10. And like, you know, the things we hear are like, well, they're going to age out of the system and leave you and then you won't have any families. And it's like, well, one, that's what fostering is. Right? That's kind of the point. That is the that's system working as intended. That's a point. good thing. Yeah. And two, like, family doesn't end when you turn 18. Like the idea that you like, adopt a kid they turn 18 and they go away forever it's like i mean not if you're good a good family <laughs> like you know hey guys i'm over the age of 18 i still do talk to my parents i know that's right. wild for everybody but like regular people when they grow up and move out of their parents if they move out of their parents house do still like talk to them yeah and it's the like same a- would be true for like a foster child like yeah i mean and even like even if we bring in a 15 year old to our house and for three years, they get a safe place to live, support for school and activities, fed, and, you know, an allowance. And then they move out and never talk to us again. Like, cool. That's the point. If we become a family, even better. Yeah. But, like, at its core, it's like, let's give these kids a few years a chance to, like, Get their shit, not get their shit together, but like, you know, to have a space where they can go off to become productive adults. That's the point. Literally. Literally. That's the point. It really bothers me to let like all the portrayals, most of the portrayals you see on television are that. Like there's never just like parents, oh yeah, you know, I was adopted. Or like, oh yeah, these are my like foster parents we still keep in touch. It's always either biological or if it's not biological, it's they're the one non-white kid, or it's they were terrible and I'm scarred, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. just so disheartening because, mm-hmm. like, ideally, number one, we should be doing more to help children, period. End of story. The, yes. the Like, the state of giving a shit about children's welfare right now is abysmal. Um, but also it's like, Man, it just, it demonizes the foster system for, quite honestly, like, no reason. This episode could have been done with this woman being their biological mother. And it would have hit just as hard. They literally, if you wanted, like, a race difference, you could have, like, a white Hispanic kid and a dark-skinned Hispanic kid being siblings. And that's completely possible. It's totally not. Like, I don't know. It's, they do, TV shows do this a lot. And Criminal Minds is for sure not helping because i cannot tell you the amount of episodes where they've looked up an unsub and gone oh yeah he bounced around from foster home to foster home oh yeah like what the fuck are you doing what's up here criminal minds what are you fucking doing here dude yeah and then even the whole thing of like cps can't get them out of the home immediately which is total bullshit by the way yeah, like it's a huge thing that CPS comes up and just 
takes the kids out of the house. Like, they do that all the time, but especially on request from another government agency? If the FBI is like, hey, she's got locks on the fridge and she's making them go unconscious frequently? Yes. Kids have been taken for less. They are, like, come on. Absolutely no. I don't believe it for a second. But they, they have to just, so the get back in the house. Yeah, and they just... They needed somebody to demonize here, and they decided to do the entire foster system for no good fucking reason. Ugh. Wild. I don't like it at all. Okay. I don't either. Yeah. So, yeah, Garcia's like tons of criminals in the foster system. But then they're like, he's definitely some type of animal person. He works with animals. Thank you. Because the cat's in the- person. (laughs) Those are just furries, bestie. Oh, no. (laughs) Clearly, this one's a furry. Clearly. (laughs) Where was our furry serial killer? I'm genuinely shocked they did not- I mean that at some point, like at a furry convention and then they like disappear into the crowd and you just can't catch them. Come on and be funny. Okay. But Garcia shows up in like a $4,000 Mersuit and no one questions it. I think we should do a murder mystery, but the, the murder mystery part of it is that nobody knows who the others are. They're just like all in a furry convention. (laughs) locked room murder mystery and somebody saw the killer but they got away and put on a fursuit so oh god absolutely not it could be funny it could be funny okay so they cross i think you all should have your representation on crime shows i think you should have your chance your your time in the sun furries i'm here for you i think it'd be funny furries can be serial killers too you know furries can be serial With the amount of serial killers who work in IT and the amount of furries who hold up the IT industry on their backs. The Venn diagram. There's there's a Venn diagram there. (laughs) Oh, God. This is stupid. Let's get back to the episode. I'm so sorry. So they cross foster care criminals with veterinary career holders. And there's nine. (laughs) Nine. She says she has the phone book of criminals in foster care and only nine of them went on to work with animals. That feels incorrect, but okay. That's so few. Okay. They, oh, Emily, okay. Oh, this is such a scene. Emily and Hotch are setting up pictures, like a lineup of pictures for Carrie to look at. And JJ brings Carrie in. Carrie walks right up to the picture and is like, him. So Hotch and Morgan go to talk and Emily like gathers her blazer and goes to follow, but sees that Carrie's looking like upset. She's like, what is it? What's wrong? And Carrie says, it's too late to be a good daughter now. And Mm. Emily is literally like, um, I don't. She's like, no, no, of course that's not true. (laughs) Um, and then 
she's like, Carrie is like, is there a reason they did this? Why they like this? And Emily's like, you know, thinking it'll drive you crazy, but like it might have been something in their childhood. And while she's talking, JJ is like looking over, like keeping an eye on like what they're doing, like curious. Okay. Then Carrie asks the all important question. Are there any happy families? Yeesh. And Emily says, I don't know. Double yeesh. I just... Hey, Emily, I'm so sorry about what happened to you as a child. Especially because like, I, mean, I know what fair- happened to you as a child and like... Everybody in that room, you know, Hotch is there, JJ is there, oh, Emily's there. All of them Morgan. have very unhappy families in very different ways. Yeah. I mean, I would say Morgan has a happy family, but he had a really shitty childhood. Exactly. Like, But everyone else has an unhappy family. <sighs> or a dead one. Or a dead one. Hmm. Poor Emily. She's truly just like... I can be your happy family. I'll be your mom. We'll be happy. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. Okay. Emily and Hotch and Reed go to the animal shelter. Irvin isn't working. But they're like, what's his address? Nope. That apartment's abandoned. Where do you send his checks? And he picks them up. So they're like, okay. Call him call in. Him say this. Call him in. Say there's something wrong with this check. He'll come in. Great. They go downstairs. And, oh, they find out that he works as, like, he puts down cats for a living. So they're just like, ah, convenient. And What do they call him? They call him, like, they call him on-site like a, Kirkovkian? They're on... <laughs> Kevorkian. Do you not know what that means? No, I don't fucking know what it means. That's why I'm asking. What is (laughs) Kevorkian was a doctor who believed that patients would be allowed to commit assisted suicide. Oh, okay. Let me look this up again. It's weird that they call him that when like reasonably every animal care technician is all trained in this. Do mm-hmm. they just all not want to do it so they give all of their euthanizations to this one dude? Yeah. Okay, so basically, yeah, he publicly championed a terminal patient's right to die by assisted suicide, embodied in the quote, dying is not a crime. Okay. Because, you know, because suicide is, so suicide is only a crime if you fail. Because yeah. the reason suicide is criminalized is because cops... And others need to be able to, like, get to you. And if you're committing a crime, they can come stop you from committing a crime. Yeah. So they criminalized it. Um, Which is stupid, but theoretically makes sense. But it is functionally stupid. Yeah. They basically were like, you're not allowed to commit suicide. We're going to make it so cops can stop you, essentially. Um, So here's the thing. The reason they call him that is, so Kevorkian says that he assisted at least 130 patients. And he was convicted of murder in 1990 because he helped people, like, kill themselves. 
and he was convicted of second degree murder because somebody who had ALS wanted euthanasia and he helped them. So he served eight years. But like, so that's this yeah. might be controversial, but like, he's not wrong. No, and there's still technically... Okay, I listened to a podcast episode of Criminal and they talk about how like there's a whole like organization that will like help you commit suicide if you know if you're uh terminally ill or Mm -hmm. like something like that and it's basically like a hood and then they like gas you unconscious and then it kills you and the the people don't actually do anything they like tell you where to buy the stuff they show up and they're like well if i were gonna use it and then they like it with you Mm-hmm. And there's a whole process of like talking with you and with your family and all that kind of stuff. But like people still do assisted suicide. Yeah. But Kevorkian did it like very publicly and like fought for reform and yes. all that stuff. But I still don't think you can like choose. I mean, I guess you can like choose to like have the breathe, like to breathe on my own, even though that's going to kill me kind of thing. But yeah, it's yeah. just Okay. I just didn't understand that reference because I didn't know that dude, but also, like, dude's not wrong. <laughs> it's not wrong. Yeah, that's not, like, a great term. Like, I know, like, it's not really Kevorkian to kill cats. They're not committing suicide. But it's the closest reference I think you'd get. Okay. Okay. And then they go to talk to Reed, and they say, like, he was seen fighting with his partner, like, earlier that day. Okay. They Okay. Oh, gosh. This is so sad. Emily and Hotch go to talk to the foster mom and the curly haired boy comes in and he's like, can I have the key for milk? And Hotch and Emily realize the woman is like wearing the key to the fridge on a necklace. Mm-hmm. And she's like, they'll eat you out of house and home. <sighs> Girl, what the fuck? What the yeah. fuck? Both Emily and Hotch are like very low-key furious. As they fucking should be. As they should be. So they ask her, like, you know, was Irvin close to anyone? And she's like, Gary? Gary was trouble. He was a lot of trouble while he was here. And they're like, do either of them ever talk to you? And she's like, no, they turned 18 and never looked back. But he was, Irvin was separated from his sister, Lucy. Great. And then, okay, okay, okay. Irvin walks into work and they arrest him. And he literally sees Derek and, like, backs up and, like, turns around and sees that he's surrounded. Derek grabs him and is like, why are you running? Like, bro? He's just I'm very I'm faced confused. with a cop squad. I'm running, too. You know? Like, what the fuck? It's just, like, he's literally, like, looking around and being like, why am I surrounded by FBI? <laughs> yeah. Like, he's literally scared, Derek. It's rough. Okay. Urban is in the interrogation room. He won't talk at all. And they say, like, kids who grew up like him can't form attachments. And, like, now that he's gone, what's Gary gonna do? Who knows? And then Emily is like, we should have Carrie talk to Irvin. And JJ is literally like, what the fuck? She, like, pulls Emily aside and she's like, why are you making her do this? This is so, like, bad. And then Emily says, she wants to be a good daughter. And JJ's like, ooh, damn, okay, but, like, I don't like it. They are kind of, they're not, like, at 
Emily and JJ aren't like at odds this episode, but I no. think they are coming at this whole concept of like honoring one's parents almost in two very different ways. Whereas, yeah. J- whereas like JJ just wants to like protect her. She wants to protect the child, which like great instinct. But Emily's like, I want to give her a chance to help get the closure that she might need. And I think that's very like it's 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 a very two very different ways of like looking at mothering almost. Mm-hmm. I don't want to like be like they are two different types of mothers because they are both women. But I do think the way that they fundamentally approach this is like who they are as parents almost. I think it's also who they are as daughters. Also that, yes. Because JJ hasn't spoken to her father in 20 years. He left. Yeah got a new family, doesn't talk to her. She has half-siblings she's never met, right? Her mother is, like, neglectful through grief. And she says, she in, like, like, 14 or 15, she's like, JJ, I'm proud of you. And JJ's like, that's the first time you've ever said that to me. JJ's 42, the first time her mother says she's proud of her. So yeah. JJ is like, fuck that noise. Carrie has just had trauma, and we need to protect her. Whereas Emily is like, you know, her mom is still, her mom was like neglectful in a very different way, but Emily always looked up to her mother. Yes. You know, Emily's like, my mom is perfect. Like we literally learn in Honor Among Thieves. She's like, wow, I I didn't know you could fail at anything. Like I, Emily's always trying to be good enough for her mother and, and be the perfect daughter and all that kind of stuff. So when Carrie is like, I want to be a good daughter, I want to do right by my parents. You know, I don't want our relationship to have ended on bad terms. Emily is like, I got it. You'll help us solve this case. And then you'll be like, they're proud of me. You know? Yes. Yeah, I think you're right, though, about mothering. I think Emily would be very much like protective, but very, but push a lot. Yeah, like, I'll give you you room to grow. Just go for it. Whereas, like, even as even as we see JJ is in the show, she's very protective. She's like very nervous about the fact that they don't have a lot of time left. And this Mm -hmm. is very much like based off her evolutions characterization where she's Mm -hmm. like, we don't have a lot of time. I need to like make sure that they know that I love them, all that kind of stuff. And like, great. But like, they are just two fundamentally different people who have a very different approach to parenting. Yeah. Yeah. And what I do like though is so, Carrie goes in to talk to Irvin and Emily's very supportive. But then Carrie starts being like, fuck you. You think you were helping me? You murdered my fucking family. And JJ's like on the other side of the mirror, just like pissed as fuck, like staring daggers in the back of Morgan and Hotch's head. And Emily's like, okay, let's stay on track, shall we? (laughs) But I think, I think ultimately what happens is they're both kind of proven right. Where, like, Carrie is still, like, a teenage girl, and she's fragile, and she's not, like, prepared to interrogate a criminal, but she's also strong, and she does it, and she gets the results, and then she cries, you know? Yeah. So, it's kind of, you know, both. So, Carrie basically is talking to him, and he's like, she's like, what did your foster parents do to you that was so bad? And this is where we learn about going dark, where Irvin is like, our foster mother would put us in the tub to 
pray, but then she would hold us underwater until we blacked out. And Morgan is like, there's still kids in the house. And Hotch is like, JJ, call welfare. Get them out of there. Carrie. Which, oh like, Carrie, hmm. they don't say anything about this besides, like, that's fucked up. We need to get those kids out. But, like, holy shit, gang. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. No, they're not, like. Holy shit. I obviously Irvine is killing children like terrible whatever but I even one like oh I understand now like, like none of that none of that yeah <laughs> yeah no you're correct holy shit like there's like, seven layers of fucked up to this number one why are you going into a bathtub to pray this feels like a callback to the very like religious fundamentalism that we had in the Hankel episodes right but absolutely. then to be drowned all the time repeatedly as a child when your brain your brain is still developing and you're losing brain cells by drowning I okay I know one thing that does like the big thing about this episode that bothers me is that like we hear about that and the key on the fridge but like I don't think they reveal I don't think that they do in fact like vilify these parents enough correct I genuinely I think that old lady should have gotten shot I think she should have I think that old lady should have caught lead. I don't care. I don't give a fuck. I think she she should have caught a stray. I don't care. Fuck that bitch. So like, but like he shoots at the photos and he's like, they're all lies. And it's like, yeah, correct. They are. But then she's just like cowering on the floor. And it's like, are we supposed to be like sympathetic that she's like scared of, she almost got shot. Like, I just don't. They I don't wish- do enough to vilify the individual. Yes. They do more work vilifying the system. And it's Absolutely. like, okay, I get that you want some fucking scathing indictment of an underfunded system that we don't pay enough attention to. But like, fuck this bitch in particular. The whole system's bad. And CP, they may have that whole thing about fucking CPS can't come in to do an investigation until they do a full investigation. And that's like right before this bitch is cowering on the ground. Sure, fuck CPS for that. But fuck this bitch in particular. It feels like they're saying foster care is locked fridges and abuse. Instead of saying like this woman was abusing kids. Exactly. Yeah. They put her into like the passive tense of yes. this is just what foster care did. is. Yeah. It fucking pisses me off. It is fucking infuriating. Genuinely one of terrible. these moments that I'm like, what the fuck are you doing here? What is your yeah. fucking message like, in this show? Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel that. So they have to get the kids out, whatever. Great. And then, okay, but Carrie's so brave for this. She reaches out and, like, takes Irvin's hand. And yeah. Irvin is like, Gary wanted to fight back against the woman, but, like, he couldn't, you know? And, like, he's been wanting to go back and kill 
you know, the, their foster parents, but Irvin wouldn't go. And so Emily's like, he's going to go to his foster family. Great. And Carrie like yanks her hand away. And it was like such a good, like when she reached out, it was so like, I'm so sorry they did that to you. That's terrible. Oh my gosh. And then the second they get the information, she's like, yoink, get the fuck away from me. And it's then even then- like- yeah. Here's how I read that moment is she had a moment where she almost like, I don't want to be like, she forgot what he did, but she was like, this is so terrible. And you are a person and you did mm-hmm. not deserve to have that happen to you. And I'm so sorry. And then she was like, but you killed my fucking parents. You killed my whole yeah. family. It very much felt like that moment I- where like, she almost forgot what he did. And she was like, I don't think you should have had this happen to you. And I'm very sorry, but also I can, I personally cannot be the one to comfort you. I hope somebody mm-hmm. does. Exactly. And I, I do think this is that like two truths thing of like, we can be sympathetic with this shitty childhood and his trauma mm-hmm. and how he got to this place. And we can also be completely harsh and unforgiving of the way he chose to act out because of that trauma you know correct you know it's the same way i think about like you know like my mother i'm very sympathetic of what happened to her in her life i'm not gonna forgive the way she treated me i can get why you do something it doesn't mean i have to be okay that you've done it you know and i think that's where she is with like urban where she's like i get it it really sucks and now i understand what you mean by like trying to protect me but also, like, you killed my parents and, like, you did actually try to kill me, yeah. too. Like, I would be dead if you hadn't, like, messed up or, like, chosen to let me live or whatever. And then she, like, keeps herself together and as soon as the door closes, crying in Emily's arms. Yeah. Ugh. And then you're like, oh, yeah, she's just a kid. Like, Jesus. She found out her parents were dead yesterday? The day before, yeah, unclear timeline, but very ago. recently. Yes, and she's like, she she just had a nightmare about this man. Mm-hmm. Remember, like we had the nightmare of him coming to the hotel room or the hospital room, and now here he is. You know, it's terrible. So then they go to the foster home. Like the cars are pulling out. The woman comes out and is like, "What's going on? What are we doing here?" Okay, I do need you to go open the notes app because Reed has the darkest under eye circles it looks like reed has been punched in the face he really does look like he got punched in the face truly calcium deficient yeah well wasn't was this still in the era where matthew gray gilbert was having his health issues or was this after that and they just like made a weird choice in makeup i know that he was having health issues in season one i wonder if it was like in and out because remember he wasn't in in name and blood that much at all he's only in a couple scenes of scared to death really and now in this Mm -hmm. episode he's not a huge player either so i wonder if he was like having health issues during this time but i just like saw him and i was just like oh god get some sleep (laughs) i know they really like Makeup did not try and hide this that much. Yeah, even if it is naturally that he was having eye, you know, health problems, they didn't tr- they didn't help him. Yeah. Which makes me feel like it was on purpose. They either used it or put it. Which is and if it's on purpose, it's a weird choice to make. 
I wonder if he's still supposed to be like mourning Gideon. So he's like not sleeping. They don't address don't it. Know. It won't come up. The woman is like, I have to pick up the kids at school. And Hotch is like, somebody else will. And then Gary is at school. He like goes up to the two kids and he's like, hey, you don't remember me? I lived there a long time ago. So like, why would they remember you? Whatever. But then he's like, you're not allowed to wear your shoes in the house. You're not allowed to go to the bathroom after bedtime. Does she still wear the refrigerator key around her neck? And that's when the two kids are like, oh my God, you know, you know how, what's happening. And they get in the car. Emily goes to the school and the kids are already picked up. Denver PD set up a perimeter. Gary and the boy are in a donut shop just eating. And Rita's on the phone with Hotch and he's like, I don't see the girl. Knock, knock, knock. There she is. She's out the window with a note. And Reed's like, uh, you should get down here. Cut to snipers, swats. Everyone is in vests. Please turn to the next picture. The, the detective, detective is wearing the smallest vest known to man. Why does Reed have a bigger vest than this dude? So I think that FBI vests, it seems like there's like a vest component and then like a Velcro padding component. And this director is only wearing, this detective is only wearing the padding component. But he's wearing, yeah. looks like he's wearing the tiniest vest on the planet. It's very small. It's, it's like half a life jacket. Wild. Okay. And then the note, Hotch looks at it and it says, if you come inside, I'll kill him. And JJ calls the store. Hotch talks to the guy behind the desk and is like, hey, put me in with the guy. <laughs> the store, the like donut shop worker is like, um, it's for you. <laughs> and he doesn't take the phone over to them. He's like, you got a call over here. Like, he can't, like, the wall is all windows. Like, you have to see all of the cops. Yeah. Like, hi, this is Adrian Hoffner with the FBI. Can you pass the phone to the man sitting with the boy? Uh, hey, you guys have a phone call. <laughs> like, what? Just a random call. I love this character, though, because later we're like, that's when I saw the piece. You had a revolver. <laughs> it was like, okay, guy, this is the most exciting thing that has ever happened to you. Yeah. He works yeah. at Donut Shop, all right? Let him live. <laughs> at Donut Shop. Yeah. Um, okay. Gary stands up with the boy, like keeping the boy in front of him, and is basically like, I've always imagined going out in a hail of bullets in a donut shop. And Hotch is like, it's not too late for the boy. And Gary says, let's leave that up to him. And then lets the boy come out. Emily grabs him. Gary comes out. They tell him to kneel on the ground and put his hands behind his head. Can I? I'm so sorry I have to mention this. Go for it. When they have this dude kneeling and he puts his hands and he like laces his fingers behind his head and lifts his arms up. He, as all of us would in this situation, has some pit sweat going on. Yes. Um, It's only on his right pit. His left pit, sweat free. <laughs> it's just one. And I just noticed it because he's wearing a light shirt, obviously. Yeah. But like, how? Do you think this is a case of like, I get very sweaty under my right pit when I'm nervous? <laughs> or is this like, they forgot? 
an armpit. I think this is a case of this man in particular, William, uh, William Lee Scott. Mm. Um, only sweats out of one armpit. I think he only sweats out of one armpit. And that's a thing. Like that's like not like not even a joke. Yeah, like, that's, that's super. That's super a thing. Some people only sweat on one side. Some people don't sweat at all. Whatever. It just, just really funny. like I noticed it, and I had to text James immediately, and I was like. Hey, this is weird, but I need to say this. (laughs) Yeah. So then, like, Gary comes out. They get him, whatever. The detective is like, I don't know what you did, but good job. And Hotch is like, thanks. Hotch, like, initially, like, shakes his head no. Like, he knows something's up here. He's like, I didn't do anything. So then... Okay, Emily has this face when somebody's on a phone and she wants to know what they're saying. It's definitely because, like, you know pageant princess to keep acting but like her face like her chin like tilts up and she raises her eyebrows and she looks at them like what is it well what is it and then her voice becomes like what did they want every time and i love it emily stands there like tell me what the phone people are saying you know Yeah. (laughs) yeah i love to see it and then we find out this is when we find out the kids have to go home CPS, can't get them, etc. Okay. At the station, Hotch goes to talk to Gary. Oh, we find out that Hotch co-wrote the textbook for crisis negotiation. Isn't that interesting? When? With whom? <laughs> With Rossi, because then, then they mention it later on in Minimal Loss. Right. Hotch and Rossi co-wrote the textbook on crisis negotiation. Talk about two people with anger issues. I would not want the other end of a phone call in a crisis. Yeah, for sure. Would not want them. Yeah. And he's like, it's never gone this easily. And Gary's like, well, this time it did. Bye. Okay. At the foster home, Morgan is talking. Morgan takes Tyler aside and Emily takes the girl aside. And Morgan is like, Tyler, you can call me at any time. I fucking mean it. And then the kids go inside and Emily's like, I hate this so much. And she's like so upset. And then they like look up and there's a third kid like in the attic just watching them. With like a black eye. Yeah. And Emily's just like, this sucks. (sighs) Then back at the donut shop, JJ is like organizing a press conference like from the table of the donut shop. And Reed's like, we got donuts. Reed... It's canon. Eats rainbow sprinkles. Mm-hmm. Like that's a thing everyone knows. And JJ eats them plain. St- the store clerk is like, that's when I saw the piece. And Reed's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Peace. What piece? The store clerk, by the way, the store clerk is talking to another cop giving a statement. Oh, yeah. You can't just say the store clerk is blurting out. That's when I saw the piece. Because it makes no <laughs> goddamn sense. Okay. We need tr- a shred of context. Just a right. smidgen. Truly yeah. just a little bit is enough. So this is clearly like right after Gary got arrested. This is right after Gary got arrested. JJ and Reed are still at the donut shop. And the police officer is taking the statement of the store clerk from earlier. And he's like, that's when I saw the piece. It was tucked into his jeans. And Reed's like, wait a minute, what? And he turns to the cop and he's like, did you see get a gun? And the cop's like, no, I patted him down. There was nothing. And Hotch is like, yeah, there was no gun. It wasn't checked in. Like, where's the gun? And Reed, Reed says, a gun doesn't just walk away. 
And Hotch is like, uh oh. <laughs> Immediately calls Derek. And Derek's like, why would I check the kids' backpacks? Pew 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 pew. Also, okay. There's they like used... the, there's like three gunshot sounds that go off mm-hmm. and not just James saying pew 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 pew. By the way. It's a I mean, really I'm assuming, good I'm assuming they cut. watched the episode. No, it's really good. I am assuming people have not watched these episodes for years when they're listening to us talk about them. Are you fucking kidding me? I hey, don't know. let us know on socials or in the comments of this Please. episode. Do you rewatch the episodes with us or are you just sort of like going off of your like 14 year old like 14 year old use memory of this like what what's your vibe here you know i, was I like say- the way that they cut i'm gonna steamroll you into a logical sentence now please please i like the way they cut morgan going the bags why would i look in the bags and then it is immediately hard cut to like three gunshots in quick succession Mm -hmm. and they like scramble out of that car, man. They are fucking running as they should, but like they are fucking running. Mm -hmm. And it really kills me in this scene. So Emily has to point her gun at Tyler, like at a kid, which is so hard. And like the second Tyler like drops his gun, even a little bit, she's got her gun away, you know? She, like, does not want to be good. that. It's also, like, really interesting that this only happens, you know, two episodes after Name and Blood when she had a child yes. pointing a gun at her. Yes. I bet that's a shitty parallel she doesn't like to think about. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, basically, Derek is like, you could have shot her. You shot the pictures on the wall instead. You're good. Don't do this. Like, don't do this. I'll make a deal with you. If you give me the gun, I will get you out of this house and you will never have to come back. And the kid just starts crying. Ugh. Again, another great child actor this episode. This is uh, Masam Holden. Yes. Great actor, I think. He like he really like sells the sort of like almost dissociative state that he is going into to live his life and not just mm-hmm. break from everything that's happening to him. That's You know what I mean? I'm- I'm glad you say that because I was trying to describe it. It was like, you know, on a day-to-day, he's fine. But also he's experiencing immense trauma. He is experiencing wild amounts of trauma. Yeah. And then still has to, like, go to school. You know? And it's yeah. like, how do you... How could you not shut down? You know? He... I mean, he also... He goes to school and he also, like... He's taking care of his little sister as well. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like he's going through just such immense trauma. And I think this kid does a really good job of the sort of like careful neutrality that he has to put himself into to not get into trouble. Also, he only has like two lines this episode. Yeah. He says like, I was trying to get some milk at the beginning. And then he says they're all lies about the photos. And it's just like... And that's it. It's just like, correct. Like, that boy wouldn't speak. You know? So I really... He almost reminds me of Irvin in a way here because we don't see Irvin speaking quite as much as we see Gary speaking. And I think it's, Absolutely. like, interesting that they're showing the sort of, like, two different ways that trauma, that immense repeated trauma can manifest in children and young adults. Absolutely. And I think it goes back to In Name and Blood when at first they were like, okay, 
traumatized kid in a bad home, acting out, being loud, attracting attention. That's Gary. That's Gary. And then they say, actually, maybe he's trying not to attract any attention. Doesn't want anyone to notice him doing his best, getting good grades, being on time. And that's Irvin. Yeah. You know, and that's also so Tyler. I, that's also Tyler, you know, and Gary tries to push Tyler to, you know, his side or, you know, whatever you want to call it. And Tyler doesn't because ultimately, like, that's not him. You know, in the same way that, like, Irvin wouldn't be hurting people, you know, and, you know. Yeah. It's a bad reason, but he has, like, a, you know, theoretically, in his mind, good reason to be killing children, you know. He's helping yeah. them, you know. He doesn't do it. He doesn't get anything out of hurting people. So, yeah. And all the while this is happening, to build a home is playing. Which, that song Wild. does make me cry constantly so it's like the sadness of that doing this so it's like this broken home and it's like there is a house built out of stone and then it's like Hotch and Emily picking up the files and Emily asks Emily's like I could adopt Carrie I could take her home and Hotch is like to DC and Emily says I have room and I have money and like you know, two, three years, she's in college. It's not a big deal. And Hotch says, I need to know that you can be objective. And Emily says, and I need to know that I can be human. I think this is a very interesting... This conversation has much more interesting implications once you know Emily's season six backstory. Which, like, mm -hmm. once you know that she kind of gave up Declan, but she's still like trying to protect him, right? Yeah. Once you know that, and you know the demonology episode, one of the other say. greatest episodes of Criminal Minds. Truly. Once you know those two other like not like That's... brushes she's had with motherhood, this hits like harder. Yeah. I also think it says something interesting about Hotch, where he is so almost distancing himself from his family whom he claims to love and he's like they like having a child is a distraction for objectivity which is a very mm -hmm. male mm -hmm. take i was also i was gonna say the dichotomy that's set up is objectivity as an fbi agent and humanity as a mother and from Hotch's point of view, like, I get it. Like, you can't, every case, you can't be like, I'll just take it, I'll take this person home. You know, you can't, like, yeah. get that involved in every case. Mm -hmm. At the same time, like, how many cases end with a child who has just lost their whole family, then their family isn't the unsubs and has nowhere to go? You know, and Emily's not wrong. Like, she could get Carrie a driver, put Carrie in therapy, buy a house, and... And, like, be home for dinner most nights, because I feel like she would make a better attempt than Hotch. Yeah, like, be home for dinner most nights. When she has to go away, you know, she would either get a babysitter or, like, Ambassador Hotch... Or Ambassador Hotch. <laughs> or Ambassador Prentice is there, kind of, in her life again. Like... 
she'd have the whole team. Like it wouldn't be unreasonable. Here's but, the thing is mm-hmm. like, it's not unreasonable to have a family and be in the BAU. Hot just it. doesn't think that it is like, yeah. it's just, I think it's a very much like a Hotch's current moment of trauma is mm-hmm. very much perpendicular to Emily's current moment of hope. And they are like, they have crashed here. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it will be interesting. And I've, I haven't watched these episodes through this lens, but when JJ gets pregnant and when JJ has a kid, how Hotch reacts. Sees, reacts to it, sees that. You know, because if Hotch's new worldview is you cannot have a family and also be a good agent, is it different because JJ's a woman? You know? Is it different? Is it different? Because well, also, ultimately, Will becomes like a stay-at-home father. Dad. Yeah. Yeah. For like quite until, a while. For quite a while. Until, theoretically, the new season. You know? Until the end of season 15. So, like... And that's what Haley was. But JJ is just better at being in a relationship, which is fucking saying something, Hotch. Yeah. You know? I just think... Yeah. Ultimately, it very much just comes down to how, hmm, hmm, do I want to say this? Yes. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately it comes down to how we treat, how we as like an American society treat fathers versus how we treat mothers. Yeah. You know? And like, not yeah. to be like, we are a psychology podcast. We talk about, but like, <laughs> you and yeah, I, I both have right. fathers and mothers. We are existing in society. I think we're pretty, mm-hmm. we're at least qualified enough to like chat some shit about it on a podcast. But like, very much like, the man makes the decisions. He's the he's the rational one. He's the one mm-hmm. who has to like provide for his family. He, I think Hotch in this moment doesn't realize, doesn't like remember how fucking rich and how many resources Emily has compared to him. Even though he is rich and had resources, he just didn't use them towards his family enough you know what i mean like it's just this very much feels like a conflict on the concept of american fatherhood and the concept of american motherhood you know what i mean yeah and i think also i think you're exactly right and i think that you know for hutch his wife was home all the time with the kids she was the one who couldn't handle his schedule you know she you know, he had to work and he had to leave the house and he had to do these things. If Emily becomes a mother, she's going to want to be with her kid the whole time. She's going to be thinking mm-hmm. about her kid the whole time. And, you know, Hodges said before that when he's like out on a case, he doesn't think about his family. He can't, you know, but yeah. Emily's going to be a mother, you know, to a new child with trauma. So like, there's no way she's going to be able to go on cases and be, you know, objective every case is going to remind her of a child that she has at home. Yeah. You know, this is a, this is an Aaron Hotchner man moment for it sure. This is. is like a man moment. Like I get it. Yeah. I know you're like, I need to know you can be objective as her boss. Yeah. Fine. I get it. I understand that's a, that's why that's your first thought, but like, come on, dude. Yeah. Also, Just because you're a cringe fail dad doesn't mean everybody else would be a cringe fail dad. I think Emily would be a great dad. A cringe fail dad. Emily would be a great dad. Um, also, doesn't this like come out of nowhere though? 
Emily's sudden like they were just like yeah. Emily's like also I want to be a mother like yeah it does when? for sure come out of nowhere for sure and it immediately disappears yes like okay okay I mean god I wish it had been like JJ because she's like already pregnant <laughs> AJ Cook's like already pregnant when they're filming yeah this. Like, why didn't they do it, JJ? And then JJ's like, shit, I'm pregnant. Uh, well, you know? I don't know. It's odd. Odd. It's odd. It's odd. But I also, I don't know, man, Emily would be such a good mom. She'd be such a good mom. She'd be such a good mom. But in the end, it doesn't matter because Carrie's family is flying in from LA to get her. Yay. So she doesn't even need to happy be adopted. Ending. It's a happy ending, but also a sad ending. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 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 They they're getting on the plane. Derek says, "Please tell me they restocked the bar." And JJ says, "I called ahead." So, <laughs> mm-hmm. this FBI plane mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. has not only has an alcohol bar. But JJ can call them and be like, we're really going to need a drink. And anywhere they are, they can just like restock it. And they'll have it for them to drink. I. Hmm. I'm like pretty sure. That that's not a legal use of taxpayer money <laughs> just now, like does the government like, care about what is a legal use of taxpayer money no but i'm no. pretty sure that's not that's not it it or if it is it would have to be stocked by the agents and not restocked and like everybody just agrees not to look in that cabinet but also like right we see that we see that later on we'll see that but what gets me is they're in Denver and JJ just called the pl- pilot and was like, Hey Todd, we're really going to need a drink. Do you think you could swing by Seven Eleven and grab us a grab us some bottle little of bottles vodka? Of- <laughs> like what? Do they have a deal with one of the airlines and do they just sort of like, Hey, can you send over like one of your, one of your carts and we'll just like take, take what we need off and send you the reimbursement. Like what? Like, do they have a deal with Delta? Is there like a secret flight attendant? (laughs) Like, well, there has to be a pilot and a co-pilot, right? Right. Right. So does the pilot just be like, you know what? I'll gas the plane up. Do you want to take an Uber over to terminal B where Delta is and you can just like try and like barter? Oh, can you like, run into the airport and grab us some alcohol? Can you, yeah, can you, like, run in? Can you get one of the, uh, one of the, like, what? Like, also, this begs the question, Emily bought Mother Night in an airport store. So why could the agents not just go buy, buy a bottle of alcohol? alcohol? Yeah. Airports would love to buy you a bottle, to like for you to buy a bottle of alcohol. They yes. make a million dollars off of each bottle. <laughs> <laughs> They're marked up to hell and back. They would love for so you to do that. Funny. It was just, I had, I've never noticed that sentence before. And they said that. And I was like, what? 
Yeah. I feel sometimes they do just like write things into the script and it's like, oh, you didn't think about the implications of this line, but Absolutely. it's funny. <laughs> it's a funny bit. Yeah. yeah. And then Hotch calls Haley and is like, please, can I just talk to Jack? Which is like okay, how much yeah. for being uh, so much for being rational and uh, yeah. objective, man, 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 Hotch the man. Sorry, I promise I'm not just going to make everything into like a this is a man kind of thing. But like this is very clearly this very clearly mm-hmm. says something about the way men are expected to be parents and women are expected to be parents. And that's what I'll say about that. I mean, I think even just seeing the way that, like, the fandom is constantly, like, JJ's just a mom, JJ's just a mom, when, like, Hotch's story for the first, like, five seasons of the show are about him being a father. Yeah. So, but no one ever cares about that. (laughs) Exactly. Because yeah. men are more free to have careers and, you know, mm. be separated from their children and be their own so person. True. Whereas mothers mm-hmm. are, you know, everything yeah, we talked moms. about in um in uh in name and blood, pretty much. Yep. I remember we had a long talk yeah. about it. We did. Okay. So now we get the gayest scene of the show. Like truly. JJ's JJ sits up across from Emily, curls up with her little, like, jacket, and says, you know, Carrie's family are good people. And Emily's like, oh, good. And then JJ says, I think it's a good idea. You, kids, I can see it. And she, like, has, like, a finger in her mouth, and she's being very, like, I see it, shrug, big eyes. Like, that's our, that's our children, Emily. And Emily's just like, Thanks, thank you. And like looks out the window all like wistfully. I love that Emily like looks out the window so wistfully while JJ looks like she's ready to jump her bones. Ready to like, like <laughs> she's like, let's make a baby. Literally. <laughs> Come on. Like, it was yeah. so funny. She's look JJ's over here looking like she's about to risk it all, and Emily's like, I'm in my angst era. Like, come on, girl. Actually. And meanwhile, in the background, it's like, <laughs> out in the garden where we planted the seed. It's such a weird song choice. There is such tree as old as me. <laughs> that song, okay, you're going to laugh so hard at me at this, but that song always makes me really, really emotional. Because somebody made like a Harry Potter edit to it right before the last movie came out. And I was like, listen, the last movie came out my first semester of college. So yeah. it was literally end like, I, it was end of an era, great song by Oliver Boyd and the Remember Rolls, a Harry Potter wizard rock group. But it was like, I had been out of home. I've been away from home for like four weeks, the longest I ever had. I was like in college. It was the last movie. And then here was a video of them as kids over to build a home and i was full ugly sobbing so every time this scene plays i get like (laughs) just like a little little choked up yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) honestly that's so valid of you i'm not gonna lie to you that's so valid actually thank you okay Mm -hmm. i feel like we've said instead of an ending thing we said it all like during the episode i know we really don't need to like wrap up 
I mean, like, Emily never technically has a child. Mm. Which I have thoughts mm. and opinions about that, but whatever. We will we will get <laughs> to that when we get to the reasons she never technically gets a child. Mm. James, scale of one to ten. What are you ranking this episode? Can I can I give it a ten? I think you can. I this is a ten episode for me. Alright, yeah. Like my biggest criticism, I like literally can't even remember right now. I had like one thing. I was like, this is the big thing for me. And I literally can't remember. That's how insignificant it was. This is a 10 out of 10 for me. I don't know if it's a 10 out of 10 for me. Okay. It is, I think, one of those episodes where like it's very clearly one of those like early benchmarks for a good episode. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think I have to shave off part of a point because of the just like the slander they do to the foster care system. Just yeah. like the way they don't villainize this woman who did abuse children for many, many years just like doesn't yeah. sit right with me. And it, it like it didn't matter when I was just watching the episode. But as you and I talked about it, I was yeah. like, wait, no, I'm actually angry about this. You know, so. I almost said, can I give it like a 9.85? <laughs> I'm giving this a 9.5. Yeah. So, you know, I'm there. I'm, I don't want you to feel guilty about your 10. I understand okay. how this is a 10. It's a good fucking episode, dude. Yeah. It's yeah. a good fucking I, episode. I understand your 9.5. So we'll balance yeah. it out. Like exactly. A 9.75 together. Yeah. Exactly. Did they say. They didn't say the episode no. title within the episode, right? Children and they the dark, didn't no. say Wheels Up. No. Truly, we're on a we're on a bad street, gang. <laughs> we have so many no frowny faces in this document right now. James, wait. Before that. You can find us on social media, anywhere you get your socials. We're on Wheels Up Pod. Uh, you can also leave comments in the episode now, actually. Where there's a new Spotify oh. feature about Q&A, so you can just like leave your fucking comments for this episode there. Cool. Um, we post new episodes every week now. Look at us go. You can find us anywhere. Leave comments. If you have any corrections, you can give them to us at wheelsup at brightcrownmedia.com. Or, like I said, leaving a voicemail on Anchor or, you know, some of the, you know, the comments in the Spotify section. That'd be cool. Uh, if you would be so kind as to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, it really does help a lot. That's it. James, give me an ending quote, baby boy. I'll give you an ending quote and a fortune. Ooh. A reunion is in your future. Wow. I had no quotes. You really didn't, did you? There was there wasn't really anything except the game. There wasn't. Like... There was a few little quotable moments, but yeah, we talked about them in the app. So yeah. anyway, you can stop the recording. Now. Hey. Hey. hey.